to Psalm 86. Psalm 86, we're going to look at one verse here to begin today. Psalm chapter 86. And we'll look together at verse number 12. Psalm 86 and verse number 12. The Word of God says, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given to us, how unworthy we are of, of what you have for us. But Lord, we thank you that uh, we can sit in an air conditioning building today, that we can hear the word of God preach, that we can grow uh, from it, that we can uh, allow you to speak to us through it. And Lord, as we've already sung here this morning, Lord, we thank you that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And so, Lord, uh, we come before you asking uh, that you would do your perfect work today. And so, Lord, may you remove all distractions. Uh, Lord, Satan, we know, would love to uh, veer us from what you would have for us. So, Lord, I pray for maybe the, the discouraged heart today. May you encourage them. May you help them to set aside their anxieties. Uh, Lord, I pray for the, the, the worried individual today. Lord, may they, they set aside their worries. Uh, Lord, I pray for uh, maybe the, the individual has many things going on. They're just uh, busy-minded today. Lord, I pray that they'd be able to set those things aside and allow you to do your perfect work. Lord, we pray that you would uh, now have your, your moving of your Holy Spirit within this building here today. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today and this morning about worshiping with all of your heart. Worshiping with all of your heart. It's David, as we read here the psalmist David writing, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. You know what's interesting about that particular phrase, although we, we find phrases in Scripture of with my whole heart or wholehearted or uh, heartily, different words like that, uh, giving somewhat of a, a similar reference. Yet it is only this passage in Scripture that we find that specific phrase used exactly as is, with all my heart, an emphasis being made of the individual and of every part of his heart being given, specifically in what way? In his worship. Say, could I say to you, worship is more than just the church service. If you've included in your mind that when I, that, that, uh, when I go to church, I'm to worship God, well, that is true, but church is much more than that. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, there we go. We're away. If you've included in your heart and mind that, uh, uh, you know, uh, in your own uh, individual life, well, I'm just going to worship God on, you know, every morning for this such and such time, for such and such hours, and uh, that's my worship to God. Well, worship is truly much more to that. Amen? Amen? Worship in its essence is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It is something that becomes in every part of our life and every part of our being that we should be a part of. And um, uh, the psalmist says, look at the verse. Psalm 86, verse 12. I will praise thee. Okay, there's a praise happening. O Lord my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify thy name forevermore. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon said, Praise should never be rendered with less than our heart, soul, and strength, or it would be both unreal and unacceptable. Uh, could I say to you, uh, your worship before God should be that which comes from and out of the heart. We're lost there a little bit in our slides here. I'm just, uh, for sake of distraction, I'm going to just watch. There we go. Just watch as the slides move past so we're not distracted here. Uh, let's Deuteronomy chapter 11. Turn there with me if you would. Deuteronomy 11 in verse number 13. Deuteronomy 11 
in verse number 13. We're considering this thought with all my heart. Our worship is to be that, is that which is done with all of our heart. You know, it's possible that our worship could be, we talked about this in the Sunday school a little bit, a little bit mundane. Maybe it's a little bit routine. It's a little bit of the same thing, same action, same words, same process, same seat in, in church, uh, same uh, maybe even uh, a level of scripture reading, uh, same level of, uh, of pursuit of understanding from scripture. And so uh, at a certain point, our worship becomes unreal. At a certain point, our worship becomes unacceptable. Worship is a conclusion of, of our all-encompassing service to God as well as our acknowledgement of who He is. It includes our singing, our Bible reading, uh, our attention listening to the preaching of God's Word. It includes our, 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 our attendance to church. It, it includes our, our regular day at work. It includes our hours at home of rest. At every part of our life, it should be defined as a worship to God. But more specifically, a worship of the heart. I say again, we, we, if you were in Sunday school, you would have heard some of our conversation of this uh, within our, our Bible study. But um, our worship uh, can really be very robotic sometimes. Uh, we can be really almost um, so routine. So, well, I, this is just what I do every week. So this is what I do every day. So this is what I always do for my Bible study that we never push ourselves to go beyond. You know, without going any further than this, if you're, if you're a person of devotions that likes a help study, great. Use that help study. But I would encourage you, go beyond that. Don't get comfortable with just doing one same thing continuously for years upon years, days upon days, weeks upon weeks. If you're one that's gotten in a habit in your Bible reading of reading one chapter of Scripture a day, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I would encourage you, go beyond that. It's not about how much you read, it's how much are you growing through your understanding of what you are reading. Maybe it's a matter of slowing down to read less of Scripture in order that you can meditate upon it. Yes, we all have a different level of busyness in our life. We all are doing different things. But I say to you, we all, and this is so true, we all can make time for the things that we really want to do. We all can. That's the truth of the matter. And if we genuinely of our heart desire to worship God on a day-to-day, -day, regular basis, and remain with that same spirit and heart when we're in the house of God and serving God, oh, what a difference. What a difference our Christian life would be. How much it would d define ourselves as, as in relationship before God to others. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 11, verse 13, And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken di diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in the due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. If you read verse 14, you can most definitely understand what the request, what the desire was of the people, and what does God really give that of a condition of, hey, if you want the blessing from me, believer, my people, God says, let your whole heart, your whole soul, every part of your worship be engaged in your relationship with God. 
Oh, does that define our worship before God? That it's such a lifestyle of all my heart is given into it. Uh, we, we, I have never been one that's such a sports fanatic that I have to watch all the sports. I enjoy playing sports. Clearly, I can't play them well because I tear ACLs, but I do enjoy playing sports. Okay, that was a joke. Ha ha. Okay, for those of you that were paying attention. Okay, but uh, uh, boy, when you, those of you who watch sports, you can really tell those individuals who their whole heart is into that sport, right? Whether it's they're running with something, or from someone, <laughs> or with a ball. Uh, or it's, it's, maybe it's some kind of a, Olympic athlete of some sort, and you can tell when they're, by their facial expression even, they're wholeheartedly in it. Their whole heart is in it. They're engaged in it. They've given their life to it. They're, there's a purpose behind it. They're running to win. They're playing to win. They're competing to win. And oh, how so many times Paul, with the same conclusion of sports and athleticism, uses this comparison over and over and over and over because he says Christian life, and this is so true, he concluded that Christian life is in so much of the very same way. Uh, we don't compete with, uh, with Satan to become better, but there is that of a resistance. There is a working at. The Bible tells us that we are to stand and to withstand Satan in the very same way, way we are to run the Christian race. That speaks of all of our heart. And when David, just in this one verse, and you could read in Psalm 86 more concerning his praise, but he says, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. When I worship you, when I come before your presence, which is all the time, my whole heart is going to be given into it. Is David saying he's a perfect individual? No. Was David perfect? Absolutely not. But what was his heart's desire in his worship? that all of his heart would be in it. Could it be that the very reason why churches across America and across the world aren't seeing a Holy Ghost revival happening in their churches maybe because that there are people, there are pastors, there is leadership that is going through the, the emotions of Christianity but their heart's not in it? Could it be that Christians are running and leading churches without any heart given into it. I say to you, it's a great thing to have a music program. It's a great thing if, if we have a, 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 a choir. It's a great thing if we have children's programs, children's church. Uh, it's a great thing if we have a bus program, we pick up bus kids. It's a great thing if we have nursing home, assisted living, all these things. But I say to you, all are in vain and all are pointless and are, all are not in, in uh, 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 favor of God and glory to God when they are not done with all of our heart. I'm, I'm talking to the Sunday school teacher as well as the layman or the laywoman, <laughs> the faithful attendee of Community Bible Church. Is your heart in your worship? Is your heart in your worship? Uh, my wife and I have said this to other individuals when trying to you know, direct leadership within the ministry here at Community Bible Church that it doesn't matter what it is, a ministry would be better to not be done of the church if the heart of an individual is not in it than to be done just simply for the sake of emotion. The same thing could be said uh, for the individual at their workplace. Uh, a person may, may as well not even speak of Christ if the motions which they have are not with a pursuit to glorify God, to bring others to Christ, to follow and obey God's commands, to glorify Him through their life, yet it's all done for just the opposite. 
God has not given us a job at our workplace to simply just work a job and make a living. God has placed you in that workplace for a purpose to be a testimony of Him. Now, you may not see it that way, but I believe, biblically, when you study Scripture, that God has a purpose in all things. Amen? And I believe, according to Scripture, that God has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? Amen. Which means that every believer and everything and every instance and every life circumstance that happens is purposed by God, is arranged by God, is allowed by God. But for us to simply go through the motions of church, to go through the motions of ministries, go through the motions of work, to go through the motions of home life, and there not be any heart in our worship to God, God says your worship is in vain. You might as well leave the gift. You may as well not worship at all. Because God is not looking for believers to simply just robotically do what we're told to do because, well, this is what I have to do. Well, somebody has to do it. Well, it has to be done. No, God says, I'm looking for your heart to be in it. Is your heart in it, believer? Is your heart in it? Uh, are you engaged in what God is, is seeking to do? Somebody says, well, pastor, you say that, then you're not going to have anybody doing anything. Well, you know what? The Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name that he is there. The point in our worship in the house of God is that God's people come together with an enjoined heart. It doesn't matter what's happening in the service so long as God has brought the glory. Amen? Amen. So the attention is brought to God. Amen. Whether there's music, there's not music. Whether there's a Sunday school, there's not a Sunday school. Whether there's a Sunday evening service, there's not a Sunday evening service. All these things become secondary if they're not putting God first. It's not just about the matter of doing. We have too many doing churches, doing Christians with no heart. Too many pastors, doing pastors with no heart. <laughs> I'm not lifting myself saying that I've got it all figured out. I'm simply saying that all of us as believers should be examining our lifestyle of worship. Is it truly with our heart engaged in it? The Bible tells us that the heart is the place from which a person's deepest intentions, feelings, and emotions originate. So many times we read a scripture concerning the heart, talking about our spiritual relationship with God. The Bible says, out of the heart of the issues of life. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That means that which is in the heart is going to come out of our life. Jesus himself says, we are known by our fruit. If you're producing fruit in your life, it'll be evident by those who are around you that, boy, they're, all, they're always in a, in a mode of worship. It wasn't all that long ago. I think in Sunday school we, we talked briefly on the matters of music. And we all have different standards and thoughts on music. But I, could I say to you, there is a kind of music, no matter how you want to define it, there is a kind of music that, uh, that glorifies God and draws the mind to God. And however you want to conclude in the broadness of the subject of music, in your own conviction of what you believe is right for you, ask yourself this, does the music that you listen to draw you to a greater attention and worshiping position before God? Does it do such a thing? For some of us, maybe we're not music listeners. Maybe we should be listening to some God-honoring, God-glorifying music. Amen? I heard one preacher put it this way, if it gets your foot going before it gets your heart going, then it's probably not good music. <laughs> I think there's, there, there can be some truth in that. Sometimes music can be much more fleshly than it is really God-honoring. Worship is such a broad subject, but I say to you, it is a lifestyle. We, we can choose 
We can choose whether or not our heart is engaged in it or whether we're just going to go, we're just going to do it because, well, that's what the pastor says we should do. Well, this is what the church has always done. Well, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do at work because I'm a Christian. But our heart's not really in it. Truthfully, if we were to examine our own life, the greatest way to tell is the lack, the lack of attention towards God. In what way and in what areas can it be strengthened? Turn with me to John chapter 21, if you would. John 21. Jesus touches on this subject, and so much of the matter of worship connects uh, with, and speaks, speaking of our relationship with God, it connects with our love, specifically our love relationship with God. In John 21 and verse 15, here is Peter himself being confronted by Jesus, not the first time Jesus confronted him. In other words, Peter himself who said, I will never deny you, Lord. I will never, I, I, I will be the last one to do so. And yet we read after the, or during the crucifixion, he's warming his hands by the fire right beside the enemy and denying Christ those three different times. The Bible tells us in John 21, verse 15, so when they had dined, here Jesus has died on the cross, he's risen again, the Bible tells us. He's spending his last moments together with the disciples. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven as we would read in the book of Acts. Giving you context here, verse 15, he's dining together. The Bible says, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Jesus was comparing Peter's love for the other disciples to his love for God. Do you love me more than you love your brothers and sisters here in Christ? He continues, verse 16, He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Jesus repeats himself yet a second time because they were both talking about two different kinds of love. Jesus, or Peter says, uh, Yes, you know that I love you. Jesus says, No, I'm not talking about that kind of love. In fact, if you were to study, and we're not for sake of time today, if you were to study the different uses of the word love in verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17, you would find in, the, in its original translation that there is different words which are used there describing the brevity of love which Jesus was asking Peter about. But Peter's love was not a serious kind of love. It was not a whole, all my heart given to it kind of love. Look at verse 17. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. That last use of the word love there, he really is speaking of that of an agape love. You love me so much that you're willing to give of your time, that you're willing to give of your talent, that you're willing to give of your treasure, that you're willing to give your whole life to me in obedience to my word, in the matters of service, in testimony, in recognition of who I am and everything that you say and do, in your home, in your workplace, everywhere that you go. Do you love me that much? Do you love me so much that in all the following, Jesus says, as, as one of my disciples, you followed me everywhere, everywhere I've gone, in all the following, do you love me so much that when I'm not there, is it evidently seen that because of your love for me, that is why you are doing the things that you do? Christian, it's not just simply a matter of doing. Is our reason for doing in our worship, is it done for the glory of God? Is it done 
for the glory of God. The Bible says in Psalm 86, verse 12, I say it to you again, I will praise the Lord my God with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. It's almost if we were to read John and, and put ourselves in the shoes of Peter. Here's Jesus asking, asking us, Christian, do you love reading your Bible? Do you love meditating on it? Do you love memorizing it? Do you love making notes, maybe underlining, circling things? Do you love the time that you spend in my word? It's almost as though Christ would ask the same, the same question to say, Christian, do you love praying to me? Do you love the conversation that you have with me? Do you love it so much because you know what I can do for you? Do you love it so much because you know what I have done for you? It's almost as though God would be asking this question, do you, do you, do you love going to church? Do you love listening to preaching? Do you look forward to the time of singing? Do you sing with all your heart? Do you love serving within the church and the ministries that are engaged in it? Do you, do you make fellow Christians in the fellowship and in the encouraging and the exhorting of other Christians a priority? Do you love doing so? Do you love teaching in your Sunday school? Do you love being a deacon in the church? Do you love having that point of leadership? Do you love being the sound man? Do you love working in the nursery? Do you love working? We could go on and on and on and on and on. Do you love these things? It's almost as though Jesus would say, do you love witnessing to others? Do you love taking what I've given to you, that everlasting life, and sharing it with others? Do you love it? This is the question that Jesus is asking. And it's a very same connection to what David is saying in the psalm. He says, with my whole heart. Because I love it. Because I love God. Amen? Amen? Boy, the Christian says, yes, God, you know I love you. Yes, we do love God. I don't doubt today that there is anyone here who, doesn't, uh, who has not acknowledged God and loved God to some extent. But could I say to you, does what you do in your lifestyle define your love for God? Does, does your lifestyle define your love? Um, I'm rebuking myself here today. Okay, you know, my wife and I sometimes have conversations and she's, she'll sometimes just out of the spur of the moment, she, she'll say, I love you. I'm thinking, why are you suddenly telling me this? You know why? She's wanting me to hear she wanted me to say the same thing. Or sometimes she'll say, honey, do you love me? I say, yes, I love you. And usually it's more like, yes, I love you. What? Yes, I love you. Why do you love me? Oh, honey, come on. Why you gotta, you know, you got to ask me these things? You know what? Jesus asks us the same thing. He was asking Peter the same thing. Why do you love Jesus, Christian? What are the reasons why you love him? Do you do what you do because you love him? Is, is what you do defined as a result of your love for God? Somebody says, I just can't have the passion and the zeal like so-and-so. I just can't do things like them. That, that, God's not asking for that. God's asking, is your heart in the right place that you have a love relationship with God? Do you love worshiping God? Somebody says, oh, well, Pastor Miller's trying to get, get me to doubt my salvation. I'm not saying that today, but here John himself says in the, in the first, second, third John, he says, hey, if, if someone truly knows God, that they, they, there's a saving knowledge of God, the word know he uses. There's a relationship with God, they will be living for God. And John goes on to say, Is a does a person even actually have a relationship with God? They've ever put their faith and trust in him if there's no evidence in what they're doing? 
They're not reading their Bible. They're not praying. They're not in church. They're not witnessing. They're not talking about Christ. There's no testimony. There's no evidence of Christ in every part of their life. If it would be you that would say, yes, I, 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 I am all those things. I love God, but there's no evidence of it. You should be genuinely asking yourself, have you ever truly given your life to God to begin a relationship with Him? Because oh, how guilty we are as people, sinful people, mind you. We can be so full of life and so forgetful of God. So full of all the things of life and all the things to do in life. I want to give to you three kinds of hearts that define every Christian. We're going to move through them pretty quickly here. The first would be a divided heart. A divided heart. This is worshiping God, but not making Him the priority. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Matthew chapter 6. When things of God are not the priority, Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus touches on this fact. What does He say? He says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will, what? Hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I say to you again, that service, everything that's encompassed here is speaking of worship. Okay? Let's just conclude with worship. This is what Jesus is speaking of. If you are seeking to obey God, to honor God, to worship God, you cannot have all of your heart given to two different things. I wonder, what's pulling your heart the most? Is it God? Uh, you think about in stages of life, we have to keep ourselves in, in check to make sure that we are wholeheartedly given to God, especially you know, an individual reaches a, a teenage year, well, how do they keep their heart engaged with God? Well, same way everyone, everyone else does, but suddenly new stages happen in life and things begin to change, right? By 16 uh, or 17, they get their license. Now they're driving, right? There's, my heart's given to this. Maybe by 17, eight, 18 or so, now they're in a very serious relationship, right? My heart's given to another thing. They get a little bit older, maybe they go to college. Now they've gotten new friends. They're given towards an education, a pursuit of life. Their heart's given to some other things. Then they finish college, they graduate, they begin this new stage of life, this whole new job. Their heart's given to something else. Then they get married. Their heart's given to someone else. Then, then uh, they, 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 they uh, continue on with life. You, get, you have different stages. You buy a home. You have children. You have a family. Is your heart, all of your heart, given to God first? I say to you, family can come before that. Your work can come before that. Somebody says, well, I have to have those things. I have to keep up with those things. Absolutely. But they should not, in the, according to Christ, become a master. Because when you start, let's just use family as an example. You may love your family, spending time with your family. That's wonderful. God speaks in the book of Ephesians especially about the roles of each individual in the home, that we are to have a godly home, that we are to be a Christian family, and that the man and the husband is to be the leader within the home, that the woman is to care for the children and to love the husband. And we could look at in more study of those things. You can love your family, you can love your home, but God says this, if you love it so much that God becomes secondary, eventually, over time, progressively, you'll start becoming annoyed with the things of God. 
Well, we're, we're, this is our family day, but it's Sunday. Well, this is, this is our family day, but, but, uh, you know, but why, why, why we have these ministries? <laughs> this is a family day. We're not talking about God. We're spending time with family. We do the same thing with work. Well, I've got to work. Absolutely. Your boss makes you work. You work 60 plus hours. You work 40 plus hours, whatever it may be. You've got to, you've got to put in the hours. You've got to make a living. That's, that's an absolute. But I say to you, do you have a divided heart? Is your heart more into that? In other words, we're talking about priorities here. And he says, well, the priority is to make a living. The priority is family. The priority is job. Absolutely. But is your priority God? Because God should be right at the top of the list. Unfortunately, for the, old, the, the older we get as Christians, we get this mindset, oh yes, the children, they should learn to love God, they should learn, memorize verses, do all these things, let's just have all these children's programs, and we pump all these things towards the children in our churches and encourage them to do all these things when all the adults don't do any of it. They're just telling them all to do it. I'm not saying nobody does any of things. I'm saying to you, our heart, many times, is not in it. And by the way, you can't ever expect for somebody else's heart to be in something if your heart's not in it. You never pour out to a child or to a younger person, to a younger Christian, that which God is doing in your life if there's no wholehearted worship taking place in your life. I wonder, are you serving two masters? Is there one thing that's a greater priority to you than the other? Uh, this week, uh, we use the word competition, but we're in competition with the Madison County Fair, right? Your church is going on, you have this fair going on, and all these things and events takes away people's time. It takes away people's engagement. Are those things wrong? Absolutely not. But when the time is given towards those things before God, then our worship's not what it should be. And it's not honorable to Christ. It's not pleasing to Christ. Same thing can be said of a workplace. Same thing can be said of a family. Are all those things necessary, good, and absolute? Yes. But I say to you, more absolute than anything else on this earth is God. Amen? Amen. I don't believe any of us would disagree with that. But is God your priority? There's a song. We had this group here from West Coast Baptist Bible College, and I got one of their CDs. It was on there. The last song which they sang was a song that's called Well Done. Remember that song that sang yeah. at the very end? It was a powerful song, wasn't it? Yeah. You could, heard, could have heard a pin drop in this building when they sung it. Why? Because the message of the song was talking about us standing before the presence of God. And... The thing about it is, is when you stand before God, here you are, standing before the throne. And God's either going to say, wow, your heart was fully engaged in your Bible reading, in your prayer, in your church. Your job was secondary. Your family was secondary. All these other things were secondary. Well done. Or he's going to say, wow, you really, you really hated working with children, didn't you? Wow, you really... You really didn't like being a part of the church, did you? Uh, you? You really didn't like being testimony for God in your workplace, did you? Well, you really loved your family, but you really didn't love me as much, did you? I don't know if Jesus, I don't know if God's going to say it just like that. But he's either going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. As we read further in scripture, he's going to say, uh, he's going to tell us that, truthfully, that we failed in our opportunity. Failed in our opportunity. To bring him glory through our life. David says, with my whole heart, all of my heart, 
What is the purpose in living? Not to make a living. Not to have a family. That those things would then divide us. But the purpose in living is God. And everything that we have comes as a result of God. It's not that our hearts would be given towards those things. Um, used to be a, a, a fellow that we had preach in our youth group uh, often, and he, I remember, still remember this illustration that he gave, and at the time, you know, there was food, whatever, we had pizza pop, and uh, there were still some cookies on the table, and I don't know if it was a spur-of-the-moment illustration, but he took this cookie, and he was particularly talking about relationships, relationships, guys, girls, teenagers, you know, and cautioning about relationships, and he was talking specifically about the heart. And he said, you know, the worst, the, here's the thing about the heart, you have to understand. He took that cookie, his big old cookie in his hand, and he said, uh, uh, we can give our heart to so many different, in this case, people. He said, once you start dating this person over here, you give a little bit of your heart over here. You, you have a relationship with this person, you give a little bit of your heart over here. You give, give more into this relationship, you give more of your heart over here. And by the time God actually would bring you to the person that he intends for you to marry, person that you know within your own heart that this is who God would have for me to marry, how much of your heart do you have left? You turn that back around to our relationship with God. Is all of your heart given to God? You work on a farm. Sure, you've got to water the plants. You've got to care for the cattle. You, you, you work in sales. Yes, you have to make the sales. But it doesn't mean that God becomes secondary. Is your all of your heart in your worship? The Bible tells us we can have divided heart. Colossians 3, verse 23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as the Lord and not unto men. Let me tell you, secondly, we can have a distant heart. A distant heart. We mentioned this briefly already, but Isaiah 29, Isaiah 29, in verse number 13. Let's turn there. Isaiah 29, verse 13, is quoted by Jesus in, in Matthew and in Mark. And Jesus, as he quotes, he was referring to this specific passage. He says this, Wherefore... The Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, that have removed their heart from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of man. Removed their heart from me. Could it be that even right now there, are, there would be some of us, maybe we're sitting in our pews and our minds have been on something entirely different the entire, entirety of the service, through the songs, through what has been done in the preaching, is all of our heart. Are we distant in our worship? Is our heart somewhere else? Are we fully engaged in it? Are we in love with it? That is our worship. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Come to the very beginning. Beginning of all creation. Here's a, we read of the first man, the first woman, which was who? Adam and Eve, okay, just testing your Bible knowledge there, okay, making sure you're awake. Genesis chapter 4, we then come to the first of the children in Scripture, Cain and Abel. The Bible says, and Adam knew, verse 1, Genesis 4, and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother, Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now it's important to understand verse 2. The Bible is not telling us that Abel is a better person than Cain. The Bible is not telling us that Abel chose a better profession than Cain. No, it's telling us that they both had different professions. One was a farmer, one was a shepherd. They both chose to do different things with their life. 
verse 3. And in the process of time, it came that it came uh, <laughs> that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Not an odd thing, he's giving of his offering. What does he have to give? He gives of that which he has. He gives of that which is his livelihood. Verse 4. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. The important thing to understand, the Bible says, of the firstlings of his flock. Because why? What did Abel do? He chose the best. Yes, Cain gave, but he didn't give with the right attitude. He gave more in motion than he did in worship. He gave because I have to, because I need to, because I'm supposed to, but he did not give in the right heart. And so what happened as a result, the Bible says, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. There's some confusion there. Sometimes people say, well, it's because of the type of offering. No, it's the way and it's what they gave. It is, it is rather how they give. How they gave. They, Cain gave what he had, not the best of what he had. The attitude that of Abel was that of all my heart. Everything. You, you could debate about Scripture on different things, but I say to you this, at the end of the day, we all have an offering that we give to God. I'm not talking about offering plates, offering, okay? Our, our faithfulness to God, our service to God, our, our, our commitment to God, our obedience to God. We all have different occupations, professions in life. But all of us still have to give an offering, right? We still have to serve God, Amen. We believe that the Word of God is relevant for all people. Amen. We believe that the Word of God is to be obeyed by, by all people. Amen. Especially to the believer. And so, it doesn't matter what you do or are doing in life or your pursuit in life is. At the end of the day, is your, is your worship done with all of your heart? Is it with all of your heart? In Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 4, we read of a man and his wife by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. It wasn't about what they gave. It was their attitude and how they gave. They didn't give of all of their heart. They didn't give of everything. They held back that which they should have given. And I say to you, this defines so many Christians, so many churches, so many pastors... So, so much of the very reason why churches are dwindling is because the worship is not worship of the heart. It's worship out of motion. It's worship uh, out of, well, this is just what everyone does. This is just what the Christian does. I sit in my pew. I listen to preaching. I sing the songs. But we do all those things. We sing the songs without any thought in the words. We listen to preaching with, with hardly any consideration of life change. We, 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 we serve within the ministry without any uh, consideration of why and who we are serving in the end. And God cannot honor that worship. I don't know about you, but my desire for Community Bible Church is that we would be a church that in every part of our life that we are honestly, genuinely, with all of our heart worshiping God. Amen? Amen. I hope that that's your heart. That's your, your desire. But is it a distant heart? Is it a divided heart? Really, the end conclusion of that is that we are to have a desirous heart. A desirous heart. One that's not letting anything hold us back from worshiping God. I want to bring you to one final passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 12. 
Mark chapter 12, we don't read of a woman to whom we know her name, but we know her simply as the woman's uh, might, that woman in the temple who gave not as much as the others around her, but she gave of all that she had. In Mark 12, verse 41, And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much, and there came a certain poor widow... And she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, verse 43, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast of their abundance. They, they, they had an abundance, they had something to give, so they just simply gave for the fact of giving. But the Bible says, but she, of her want, of her heart, of her desire, she wanted to cast in all that she had, even all her living. Somebody says, oh, pastor's telling me to sell my home and put it all in the offering plate. I'm not telling you that, okay? Jesus isn't telling you that. God's saying, is all of your heart given in your worship? Everything. This is the reason why he is because everything. The, the purpose behind it. I, I tell... Um, so our workers and our ministries that we don't just simply do things to do. There has to be a purpose behind it. I think with Brother Michael I was talking with and about the youth group and doing different things. We have different ideas about with the teenagers and that sort of thing. Great, we have an activity with the teenagers, but what's the purpose behind it? Are we trying to reach them with the gospel? Are we trying to get them into church? Let's have a purpose behind what we do. It's not just simply about doing community outreaches. Somebody says, well, we're doing a big Easter egg hunt. We have 300 people. Where are all the people in our church? Why aren't they coming? The purpose for the church is not simply to build the church with people. God does the building. The purpose for the church is that when even reaching out within the community that seeds of the gospel are planted, that our hearts are in with the purpose of reaching others. In some cases, it's just building bridges. In other ways, it's having things like a vacation Bible school and, and getting some, uh, getting some uh, you know, uh, exciting events happening and get a, a different speaker to come in and it comes that speaks boldly with the gospel that, so that young people can hear Christ. Vacation Bible school and Easter egg hunts and all these things are pointless and purposeless if our heart is not in it. Christian, is your heart in your worship? When you read your Bible, is your heart in it? When you pray before the Lord, is your heart in it? When you come to church, is your heart in it? When you witness for Christ, is your heart in it? Do you desire these things? Do you have a desirous heart? For too many Christians, their heart is divided. For too many Christians, their heart is engaged in something entirely different. It's distant. It's like they're off in the clouds. The work of God, what work God is doing is going forward and here is brother and sister so-and-so and they're not there. Why? Because their heart's not in it. Somebody says, well, I have all these commitments. I have all these things. If your heart's in the work of God, and to worship God and glorify God, God will take care of the rest. Are there things that happen in, in, in different approaches? Absolutely. We all have different professions. We all have different sizes of families. We all have, have different involvements to our, our workplace and everything like that that are required. But the worship should always be the same. Amen? May God and our worship before Him see that it's done with it, all of our heart, with every part of ourself.
that it's not emotion. It's not just a getting it done. It's done for God. Lord, I pray that you'd be with each of, each of us tonight, myself included, 